right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, so it's, it's good to be with you this morning. I'm excited. I feel like this is our homecoming. This is our home, like, like, like Pastor Robbie said. Uh, we spent, spent a couple years here setting up chairs, taking down the chairs, setting up all the, all the stuff here, setting everything, and it was, a, it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun, too. And I look on the audience now and out in the congregation, I can see God's blessing in that. So I want to encourage you to keep this up, keep moving forward. This is, this is a beautiful thing that you have going. And I, I'm just, uh, I'm blessed to be able to come this morning and share the word. Actually, it was kind of a, kind of a late notice. Uh, Pastor Robbie called me yesterday around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and he just sounded down. And he said that he had just experienced this, this wave of emotion, of distress and, and depression. He didn't think he could deliver the gospel message this morning. <laughs> And so he asked me if I was staying in this place. Now, he's looking like he's doing better this morning, so that's good, uh, after he's recovered from that loss yesterday. So um, <laughs> I can't say too much because I, as, a, as an Auburn grad, um, yeah, so let's get into the word, right? How about that? Um, hey, thanks again for letting me come here. I want to ask you a question as we get ready for the day, as we get ready for this word. Is I, I want you to be thinking about this. Think of a time that you found yourself in, a, in the middle of a storm. Now, this could be a physical storm, it could be an emotional storm, a spiritual storm, but think about that time. And think about the emotions that you experienced while you were in the middle of this storm. And then think about the actions that you took. What did you do when you found yourself in this storm? What did you do? So in 2012, my family and I were living in Maryland. And for those of you from South Carolina, I'm from Georgia, we thought that was Canada, right? We were, that's a long way from here. And especially when the winter came, you know, I still remember the blizzard of 1993. Uh, we received about four inches of snow, and it shut down everything for about two weeks. We still don't know how to act in the snow, and that's kind of the thing. So when the first snow event was announced in Maryland, we do what everybody from the south does. We run to the Walmart, we buy the bread, the milk, the water, and we get ready. Well, in Maryland, they do things different. And so there was about uh, four inches of snow. The next day, there was one-hour delay. And it was just business as usual, which was excellent and a shock for us because we had all this bread and milk and water now stored up and we didn't know what to do with it. So here we are. Uh, so our first Christmas there, I actually had to work. I was, I was active duty Navy at the time, so I had to work. And uh, so we were not able to go home to spend time with our family on Christmas Day. Uh, and so we decided the plan was that we would go down the following day, the day after Christmas, the 26th, and we would spend time with our family. And so as I'm preparing for the trip and I'm looking at the weather report, there's a 100% chance of snow, and it was going to be like five to six inches or something along those lines. So I go to my, my beautiful, loving wife, and I say, I say, hey, Laura, it doesn't look like uh, we're going to be able to go home as planned. We may have to delay the trip. And she let me know in the sweetest terms that there was no chance that we were not going to leave the next day. We would go home the day after Christmas and see our families. I said, okay, like any uh, good husband, I said, yes, ma'am, roger that. And uh, we got up the next morning, and we began to load the truck. And it had snowed overnight, just like the weather report said, 100% chance of snow. Uh, and it continued to snow. And so we said, okay, in the city, it's not too bad. But when you get out into the country, it's a little bit different ball game. And so as we're progressing out of the town, the town, the roads are okay. We get out into the interstate, and it begins to be where you cannot see the road anymore. Right? Then I can't see the cars in front of me anymore. And then the only cars I see at this point as I'm progressing down the road is the cars in the ditch that slid off the road. And so I have my beautiful wife, I have a three-year-old in the back who's potty training, and a one-year-old sitting behind me. And we're driving down the road, and I'm in the middle of a literal blizzard, a whiteout. And the only thing whiter than the snow at this point 
or my knuckles on the steering wheel as I'm gripping for dear life, right? <clears throat> so I'm holding on, I'm holding on tight. At one point, our daughter, uh, she screams about, she needs to go to the bathroom. I said, you just got to go because we're not stopping, right? We got to keep going. Uh, so I don't know what happened. I think maybe it was a cleanup later on. But uh, our salvation came in, uh, in the, 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 the package of a large snow plow with a salt hopper on the back. And it was easy for them to pass us because I was going about five miles an hour. And he comes around and I followed him down off the mountain into our salvation at that point. So maybe some of you have experienced a storm like that, that type of magnitude. Or maybe it's a little bit different. Uh, in, in, 2000, in 2009, um, I'm working for an engineering firm. And this is in the, the height of one of the economic recessions that we experienced uh, in the early 2000s. And the business that I work for, the, the owner came to me one day and he said, listen, you know, we've not had any work in the last six months. It's time we got to close up shop. So here I am. We're married. We've been married for about a year and a half, two years at this point. We have a little baby girl who's three months old. And now i got to come home and tell them that I don't have a job anymore. Right? We have all the stuff. We have the house. we got the property. we got the cars, the college loans, the credit card payments. we got all these things. Now I don't have a source of income. So I go home and I find myself afraid. I find myself alone. And I find myself ashamed that I can't provide for my family. Maybe some of you are similar. Maybe your stories are different. <clears throat> Maybe the honeymoon phase of your wedding is over. And it's a two-year mark. And, and the things that you thought were cute early on, like him leaving his socks on the floor over here, or her not unloading the dishwasher, start to become little, little chips, little chips, and you get, begin to pick on each other a little bit. And it gets more and more aggressive. And now you sit across from one another at dinner table and you don't even know what to say to each other. And now the vows that you made before God and man, you sit there and you're like, I don't even know how we can uphold those vows anymore because I don't know this person. Or maybe it's that daughter that you raised in a God-fearing house that you brought her to church on Sunday. You brought her back to church on Sunday night if you're Baptist. You brought her to church on Wednesday night if you're Baptist. You brought her to church on Thursday and probably on Saturday as well. Right? She's always here. And you thought when you read the Proverbs to train up a child and she will not depart from the ways, that that was a promise. Now you just find out that it was just wisdom and good advice. And now she's not answering your phone calls. And she's living in the world and she's living in sin. And she's not returning your calls anymore. Or maybe you just got returned from the doctor this week. And it's been something that's been prolonged and nagging. You finally go and get the, the results. And that's not what you had hoped for. Now you're faced with some decisions. And it's scary. And you find yourself in the middle of a storm. But today I want to talk about a time when the disciples found themselves in the middle of a storm. We're going to see what they did. But before we do that, before we dive into the scripture, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just, God, we just want to pause, Father. We just want to stop for a few minutes. God, we ask that you just remove the distractions, that you remove the thoughts of what do we have to do tomorrow, what do we have to do this afternoon, what is going to be for lunch, God, that we can just think about what it is that you have for us in this moment, God. God, use me as a vessel as I bring the good news this morning, Father. In your name I pray, amen. Okay, if you got your Bible, and I hope that you do, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 today. And we're going to start in verses 23. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. 
Verse 23, it says, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. So let's pause here and provide a little context. He, as Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Uh, before we move a little bit further, I want to tell you a little bit of background. So just a few verses before this, um, Jesus is, has been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been performing miracles, and he's tired, and a crowd begins to form, and he says, man, let's load up in this boat and let's go over to the other side. The other side is the other side of the sea. We'll talk about that in a minute. And so as he's preparing to get into the boat, some disciples come to him and said, Father, Father, you know, Jesus, I need to go and bury my father. Or I need to go and do this. Or I need to go and, and, and do something. And so what God has told, what Jesus tells them is that, listen, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be a cost associated with this. There's going to be a cost associated with you getting into the boat. And that cost may be our, some of our finances. That cost could be our comfort. That cost is going to be inevitably giving up our will so that his will can be done. And so some people got in the boat, but others did not. And so we need to remember that, that Jesus told these guys what the cost of following him was going to be, and it was not going to be easy. And these guys got in the boat anyways. Let's remember that, because in a minute you may forget this, this, this part of it. <clears throat> what it kind of reminds me of is some of you may be familiar with a British explorer named Sir Ernest Shackleton. Navy guys will understand there was a case study done about this guy because he was a British explorer, he was in Australia, and he wanted to go and explore Antarctica. And so as you can imagine, in the early 1900s, they don't have the vessels that we have now, so uh, he has to go and get a boat, he goes and gets supplies, but now he has to have a crew. So as you can imagine, putting together a crew to go to Antarctica is not the easiest task. So what does he do? He thinks, man, I'll do some recruiting. I'll take out a newspaper ad in the local newspaper and see if I can get people hired onto the ship. So this is what his ad said. It said, men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness and constant danger, safe return, doubtful, hope, <laughs> honor, and recognition in the event of success. Who's ready to go? <laughs> right? I don't see a lot of hands right now. Uh, surprisingly, this actually worked, and he had a fully manned crew. Uh, they loaded up the boats, and they went on their way to Antarctica. Uh, if you read the book, it doesn't turn out exactly like what they thought it would be. Nobody died, but uh, there was definitely some cases of frostbite, missing fingers, and toes, but, uh, but pretty interesting. So, so here we are, the disciples, they don't know everything that they're getting themselves into, but they know it's not going to be easy. They get in the boat anyways. All right, verse 24. It says, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat began, <clears throat> get, get in line, uh, so that the boat began and was beginning to be swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. So here we are. So the Sea of Galilee is what's being referenced here. So I had to do a little research. I was a Navy guy, so I think sometimes uh, Robbie thought that I knew a lot about boats and water and storms. Uh, in seven years, I spent two nights on a boat, so I had to find out, a little, do a little research myself. Actually, I spent more time uh, on a Caribbean cruise uh, than I did in the Navy on a boat. So uh, I'll provide a little bit of background for you. So the Sea of Galilee is a very interesting body of water. It's actually a very small, it's about nine miles wide, about 13 miles long, and it is the world's lowest elevated lake. It's about 600 feet below sea level. And then on the eastern side, you have what's called the Golan Heights. The Golan Heights is a mountain range that goes up to about 1,000 feet. So on a small body of water, uh, you have a drastic elevation change. And in this region, uh, when the climate is just right, it's not unheard of to experience storms of this magnitude. They would just come up. 
And so these guys are kind of familiar with these types of storms. Uh, this would not have been shocking at first. Actually, uh, one of my trips, about a week before I went to Indonesia, Indonesia on one of my trips, um, there was a storm in a similar magnitude on this lake called Lake Toba on the island of North Sumatra, and it's on a volcanic lake. And the storm came out of nowhere, uh, like it does sometimes, and it actually sunk a ferry, and about 200 people lost their life. So even in modern times, storms like this can cause serious damage and loss of life. Uh, so here we are, the disciples are in the middle of a storm, and they look over, and Jesus is asleep. Right? Who's going to be asleep in the middle of a storm? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? it? I love it because it shows the humanity of Jesus, fully God, yet fully man. And he's tired, and he needed some rest. And here he is in the middle of a storm, and he's taking a nap. Actually, Luke says he's literally laying on a cushion. So think about that. It's interesting. <clears throat> so if you're thinking now, like, man, I, it seems like there was a story of, of uh, somebody asleep on a boat in a storm. And was that, was that Moses or Noah? Sometimes you kind of get those two confused, don't you? I do sometimes. Um, if you're thinking that maybe there's some correlation or maybe it seems similar to something you've heard of before, we got to know that the disciples would have known exactly what was going on. They would have seen the symbology and linked it to something they had been taught from early on, uh, early on in their lives. And so the disciples from early on, uh, all Jewish uh, boys would go to school and they were taught the law and the prophets and the, and the books of Psalms and, and uh, Proverbs. And so they would have known automatically that this sounds kind of like this prophet we read about one time named Jonah. So if you're thinking that too, then they definitely would have thought it, they would have understood that. So we're going to jump to Jonah real quick. I want to give you a little background. So in Jonah, Jonah is a minor prophet for many reasons, but one of them is mainly because uh, God told him to do something and he did not do it. And so he's got a very small book. Actually, the Jewish people don't really like Jonah that much because he did not obey God the first time. So what do we see is Jonah is told by God to go to Nineveh and tell the Ninevites, you need to turn from your evil and your wicked ways or I will bring the wrath, my wrath upon you. And so what does he do? He goes down to the shore. He gets on a boat. Instead of going to Nineveh, he goes the opposite direction. And so that brings us up to where we are right now. We're going to be in verse, chapter 1 and verse 4. And he says, But God hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled cargo over the side of the ship in order to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Then the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So you see the similarities? So the, the, the disciples would have seen this already. And here they are. They're in the middle of a storm, and Jesus is asleep. We'll back to Matthew real quick. So Matthew, we're back in verse 25. It says, And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. So disciples, somebody has to go and wake Jesus. I don't know how they determined who that was going to be, but I don't think I would have wanted to wake our Lord and Savior, right? But they do it. And they go and wake him, and it says, And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. So this is kind of the point where we need to link back to some of the context we provided initially. 
where Jesus told the disciples what the cost of following him was going to be. And these guys accepted it. And they got in the boat anyways. So while they didn't know everything that was going to come, they had just enough faith to take a step into the boat. And in the middle of the storm, the winds and the rain and the seas raging, they have just enough faith to turn to Jesus and cry out to him. And here we get to see, we get to see Jesus. These guys have a front row seat to Jesus standing and rebuking the storm. And they get to see a miracle of miracles. And Mark actually describes it as Jesus literally stands and audibly says, peace, be still to the storm. Verse 27. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? What sort of man is this? What sort of man is this? That's an interesting question coming from guys that had spent the last uh, period of time following Jesus. They had seen Jesus perform miracles firsthand. They had seen lepers be cleansed. They'd seen a cripple walk. A blind man receive his vision. Jesus even went into Peter's mom's house and healed her, and she got up and cooked him dinner. So what does Jesus have to do for the disciples to know that he is Christ? What does he have to do for us to know that he is Christ? Maybe he's got to put us in the middle of a storm and sit patiently and wait. And wait for us to turn to him. Luke actually says that the disciples were afraid and they marveled. And this is not the type of fear that you see, you experience when you go to a scary movie. This is a type of fear that you experience when you know and you finally realize that the man that you have walked with, that the man that you have talked with, that you've sat around a campfire with, that you've eaten with, that has taught you, that this man now standing in this boat is our Lord and Savior. That this man has been with you the whole time. In the middle of the storm, he's in this boat. He's in the boat. And he's in our boat. Y'all, this is the gospel right here in this verse. That Jesus has been with us the whole time. And all we have to do is turn to him. But it's never that easy, is it? We at least think it's not. Let's go back to Jonah real quick. So Jonah finally admits that, hey guys, it's on me. The reason the storm is here is because I did not obey God. And now we're in this together. <laughs> so, so they're in trouble. And Jonah knows it. And the, the, the sailors, the mariners know it as well. And so we'll pick up again in verse 12. It says, he said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. And the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. 
Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked him up and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Do you see the change there? In the first verses, when the storm came, these pagan worshiping sailors, they go to their own little G-God. They go to their little G-God. And they make sacrifices and they pray to the little G-God. Guess what? Nothing happens. Surprise, surprise. And then once the storm is calmed and they see the work of the Lord, Yahweh, our big G-God, they immediately turn to him and make sacrifices. They immediately thank him and cry out to him in the wake of the calm of the storm. How often do we do that? Right? In the middle of a storm, how often do we go to our little G-God? It's going to look different for different people. It could be the little G-God of our finances, my savings account. I'm in trouble, but I got savings. It could be my little G-God of my job. It could be the little G-God of my family, my spouse. It could be the little G-God of myself and my self-sufficiency where I think I can do everything myself. Those little G-Gods are bankrupt. They will not save us. It's only when we turn to our big G-God that we receive salvation. So I think there's three groups of people here today. I'll let you self-identify. You can group yourselves. The first group is, and I think we have the handouts in front of you, but the first group is you have not been in a storm. You've not been in a storm. And actually, you're probably thinking, sitting there thinking, man, I don't know what he's talking about, man. Like, you know, one time I, I, I lost a job, but I got one the next week. Or I've, I've, I've had loved ones who were sick, and, and uh, you know, but they, they are okay later on. Or, you know, things get rough sometimes, but I kind of figure it out. Well, I'd ask you, do you think you've not experienced a storm because you're still standing on the shore? When Jesus told you what the cost of being his disciple was going to be, you weighed that cost. You said it's too much. Or maybe you said not yet. Jesus, I'll come back to you when I'm ready. Your challenge is you need to take a step of faith and get into the boat. You need to take that step of faith and get into the boat. Now, this is going to look different for each one of us because God's going to call us. Our step of faith will look different. It could be something as simple as I need to change my job. I say that's simple, but it's not because that has become an idol for us sometimes. And maybe I need to cast that away and I need to take a step of faith into another place that I know is going to be God-honoring and I can glorify him. Or maybe your step of faith is to go and pray for that coworker. You know which one I'm talking about. It's the one that annoys you that you would never want to pray for, right? Maybe you need to go pray for them. Or maybe you need to take a literal physical step across the street to that neighbor that you've been hoping that once they saw your Together Church sticker on the back of your SUV that they would receive the gospel. 
but they have not. So maybe your step is to step across the street to share the gospel, share what God has done for you. But you need to get into the boat. The next group, you are in the middle of a storm right now. You took that step of faith. You knew what the cost was going to be. And now that the storm is raging around you, you find yourself in a position where you did not know it was going to be this difficult. You did not know it was going to be this hard. And now you find yourself barely able to hang on. Your challenge is in the middle of this storm, you need to cry out to your God. Just like the disciples did when they finally realized who was in the boat with them is your Lord and Savior. You need to turn to him and cry out. Sometimes it's hard to see Jesus when we're staring at the storm. You need to take that turn, turn to him. And the third group is, you've made it through a storm. Man, it was tough, right? Maybe not everybody made it out. It was difficult. Maybe there was some loss. But you've made it through the storm. And in the middle of that storm, you saw God. And you saw Jesus firsthand. You saw his honor and his glory and his majesty. And that's a part of your testimony now. That's a part of your story. But that's not just your story. That's the story of God's sovereignty. That's the story of what he has done for you and his love. You need to, your challenge is you need to share that story with somebody. You know there's somebody that needs to hear that. To not share that story is selfish. To not share that story does not honor God. You need to find somebody that you need to share the story with and tell them. In a little bit, in, in, in Matthew, a few chapters away from here, Jesus is going to send out the disciples. He's going to send them out two by two. And he's going to equip them with only two things, which is interesting. So what does he not equip them with? He says, do not take a staff, do not take an extra pair of shoes, don't take an extra rope, don't take any money. When you go to somebody's house, you've got to rely on them to feed you, rely on them to, 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 to give you a place to sleep. The only two things that these guys had when they went out was the gospel, the story that the kingdom of heaven is here now, the story of Jesus. And the other thing is their own testimony of what Jesus had done for them. Now, if you don't think that the story of Jesus calming a storm in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a big lake, wasn't a part of their testimony, you're wrong. That's going to be my first story I'm going to tell. Everyone in this room has got a story like that. You need to go find somebody to share that story with. So two points I want to close with as we end today. The first point is that turning to God in the middle of a storm is plan A. And there is no plan B. There is no plan B. What we don't know is, is when we read the scripture, we don't know how long it took the disciples to go to Jesus. It doesn't say they waited 30 minutes or you know, maybe an hour. We don't know what all they tried to do. We don't, we don't have the list of things that they tried to do beforehand. Now, I, I can't even imagine. I see the disciples, like some guy's probably throwing out cargo to lighten the load. Somebody's probably over trying to scoop out water out of the boat. Peter, he's probably looking to figure out who we need to throw overboard uh, so the storm will calm, right? 
what all do we do when we're in the middle of our storm? If you're like me, and I know some of you, you are like me, uh, I'm going to develop a course of action, a multiple list. I'm going to go down list by list by list. I'm going to knock everything out until I have exhausted everything that I can possibly do myself. And then I'm going to go to God. Then, when I can't do it anymore myself, that's when I'm going to go to God. Plan A, and the only plan, is to turn to Jesus when we're in the middle of a storm. About a thousand years before this event, our King David, King David wrote uh, a psalm I want to share with you real quick. We're going to be in Psalm 107. I think the words will be on the screen. We're going to start in verse 23. And it says, Some went down to the sea in the ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds and raised the stormy wind. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which he lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went down into the depths. Their courage melted away in the evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waters and the waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank, his, thank him for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. When the storm waters finally recede and the wind finally calms down, it may not look exactly like we want it to look. It may be different than what we prayed for. That son, that daughter that has been estranged, they may not return home. We may not get that job that we've been praying for. That loved one that's been sick and ill that we've been praying for, they may, they may finally succumb to the disease. But when our focus is on our Lord and Savior, our desired haven will be our eternity with him. Not in a world of sin and brokenness and shame and guilt and evil, but in a place free from all the ills of this world, free from the winds and the rain that constantly bombard us, when our desired haven is, 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 is the eternity with Christ, we will always feel that salvation at the end of the storm. Last point. God has given us a community of believers that are in the same boat. You know, Jesus and his disciples, they spent a lot of time together. They ate together, they walked everywhere together, they fellowshiped together, they prayed together. 
even from the beginning of time, from creation, God knew that man was not meant to be alone, so he created woman. When God sent his disciples out, he sent them out in pairs. So why do we think that we can do life by ourselves? Why do we think that we are an island, that we can be self-sufficient, that we can be self-reliant? Self, self, self. That was never God's intent. God has intended us to be in community, in a community of fellow believers. And what do we see from the disciples when they are in this boat, they get in the boat together. And they experience the rain and the winds and the waves together. When it hits its pinnacle, they cry out to God together. And then we see Jesus rise, and they get to see a miracle together. Now, look, if you want to do life by yourself, that's okay. It's probably going to be a little bit difficult. There may be some ups, some downs. But what 1 Peter tells us in chapter 5 is that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for a soul to devour. Now, I know y'all have seen Animal Planet, and you see the one gazelle just out there hanging off by itself, not paying attention, head down, eating grass, hanging out. And we see the lion come and tear into it and devour it. And we think, man, that's so cool, right? That's pretty graphic, pretty fun to watch sometimes. Until we realize, Peter tells us, that's us. That's us being devoured when we think we can be by ourselves. So your challenge here is if you're not in a community of believers, if you're not diving into his word, you need to join a disciple group. You need to find a man or a woman that you can read through the scriptures so that when the storms do come, and they will come, that you'll be prepared. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just, God, we, we know that we will face storms in life, Father. God, we just want to just help us to know when it's time that we will turn to you, that it will be our plan A, God. And that when we turn to you, we'll have a community of believers surrounding us, God. When we can't lift ourselves up, they will be there to lift us up for us. God, help us to take action. Help us to turn to you. In your name I pray.